severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Get A Real Job. I am of course your host, Jamie McKinley, and this is a podcast where we basically speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries and the arts, and we speak to them about things like what drives their passions, their worst part-time jobs. We have lots and lots of honest conversation. Most of our guests are very, very early on in their careers. So it's a really uh, useful podcast if you are a sort of younger creative, try to break into the industry, lots of interest and tips and advice. And also, just if you're interested in people's life stories, it's a great podcast. So thank you very much, as always, for tuning in. And if this is your, your first time listening to the podcast as well, thank you very much. Uh, please consider also going back and listening to some of our previous episodes. We've had some great conversations on the podcast. This is our 49 episode so there's lots and lots to choose from. We have another great episode in store for you today but before I introduce this week's guest I just wanted to mention that last week me and our wonderful editor Elliot got the chance to sit down and record a special episode for the 50th episode which will be coming out next week and it was it was so nice to sit with one of my best mates and, and reflect on what we'd sort of achieved over the last nine months and, and look back on all the amazing conversations we'd had. It was it was actually really moving. It was a very proud moment for both of us. I cannot wait for you guys to hear that episode. It's going to be really fun. And to all our guests as well that have been on the podcast so far, genuinely so, so grateful. So yeah, look forward to that. That'll be out next Tuesday. So exciting stuff. But anyway, without much further ado, it's time to introduce this week's guest. And speaking to us on the podcast, this week is award-winning playwright Rachel O'Regan and I apologise as well if I've said her surname wrong. I'm very, As regular listeners will know, I'm terrible with surnames on this podcast. It's not the first time I've pronounced the surname wrong. But I had a great chat with Rachel last week. I went to see her play After Party at the Fringe, which was the first time I'd been back in a theatre since before the pandemic. So it was an amazing moment to just be in a live, a live room again and you know see a live performance. It was, it was a great and it was a great play to, to get back and see. And uh, we had a great conversation about her writing career so far and the sort of process behind this play and you know just just about her life and stuff very interesting conversation some great advice she shared as well so i hope you enjoy this week's conversation i also just wanted to quickly point out something me and elliot realized when we recorded the special episode last week was this is the third guest called rachel we'd had on the podcast and all three of the rachels we'd had on have all been writers as well which is just a really random coincidence so yeah, must be a, a talent for uh, writers called Rachel, but I hope you enjoy this week's conversation and I'll be back at the end. Hi Rachel, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm grand. Obviously last night I went to see your show after Party of the Fringe. It was the first play I've seen since before the pandemic. So what an incredible feeling to just be back in a theatre again. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's been wild. I think the, the first play I saw since the pandemic was last week on Friday, actually. And it was just amazing to just be in a live audience. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's kind of a bit surreal I was like looking around like this is this feels very normal like I mean if some people are masked I guess and stuff it, it nearly felt fully normal which was quite nice yeah like we literally we did not think this was gonna happen 
Like we were very sad for there not to be a fringe or like for it to all be digital or something. So the fact that we're able to open and like we can have a full audience now, which is very exciting. So yeah, very happy that things have kind of worked out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. And because we're recording this episode during the fringe later on as well, I'm probably going to ask you to give me some more fringe recommendations for people because we'll put this episode out next week. So the fringe will still be on. Hopefully people can go and see stuff. But your, your show's like a sellout, right? Yeah, like we're, we're going pretty well. I think we sold out twice because they, they had released like a small amount of tickets at first because mm. of the bubbles and stuff and then they released a little bit more and now it's unlimited and we're still selling out so it's just like that's never happened to me before so I'm very excited about that no it was good it was a it was a sellout last night it was a sellout so yeah, which yeah, adds I always adds to the atmosphere as well so it's great well Rachel for the listeners you are a playwright predominantly yes <laughs> um, so yeah. like that is sort of like the just for for the sake of the role but um we sort of like to start the podcast by asking all our guests like what are your earliest sort of creative memories so do you remember when you sort of first got into writing and stuff yeah I mean I think I've always been into writing I was very nerdy as a child like I used to read the dictionary (laughs) (laughs) the dictionary I didn't know like the definitions so I think that kind of leads you into a path of like writing so yeah I don't know I've always been creative I was terrible maths and and science and all that so I wasn't really any place for me (laughs) yeah reading the dictionary that was my first creative (laughs) first creative memory (laughs) I think think that is a first on the podcast I must say um (laughs) reading the dictionary but you know <laughs> do you remember did you have well you know that's actually it's good because like well I'm gonna ask you this question now but a question we always ask is do you have like a favorite word or phrase from where you're from but since you mentioned a dictionary I'm gonna ask you like that but I'm also gonna ask you did you have a favorite word from the dictionary oh I don't know I, don't <laughs> I was like six years old like okay <laughs> <laughs> no fair that's a, that's a cheeky question but um for like the favorite do you have a favorite word and phrase from where you're from though like do you have like an, a favorite Australian word you'd like to share with us um, okay well I'll say two things. One thing that I've started saying I, ironically, but now can't stop is crikey, which is <laughs> <Just> really bad. <laughs> but I don't think anyone actually says that in Australia, but apparently now I do. And my other favorite phrase is, uh, <laughs> we're not here to fuck spiders, <laughs> which is, yeah, that just means like, stop fanning about. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So is, is crikey in Australia quite an offensive word? No, I just no, think it's, it's just like sort of not used. It's like people don't really say good day. Like I've I've never really heard anyone say that. It's just a stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair well that is sort of I've sort of asked this question in a different order than normal but because we normally ask this question after the next question but my next question is sort of is about Australia as well because it's about how where you're from has influenced you as a creative person so how was like growing up in Australia and stuff how has that had an influence on you as a writer and stuff I think honestly I actually really vibe more with British culture and output but that's mm-hmm. just my own taste but I think I think maybe the best thing that I've got as a writer from living there is the sense of humor we have quite a good sense of humor I think and like we don't take ourselves too seriously and wanting to get into writing comedy I think that's really served me well because I don't take anything too seriously (laughs) as you all know from watching the last night <laughs> no yeah it was a very very funny play uh very amusing which will obviously come on too soon but like where ben australia are you actually from i'm from sydney i'm from a suburb near the coast called maroubra 
Cool, cool. Yeah. No, the reason we sort of asked this question is, is we it's really interesting to like speak to all these different creatives about like their hometowns and where they're from because everyone has like a different experience. I'm just the curious person as well, so I just quite like to know. But I, what you were saying about sort of liking a lot more British TV and stuff—that's actually quite a common thing I've had from people. As we had, and we had my friend Kyle on, who's from Australia, a, a long time ago on the podcast, and he said a similar thing about there isn't maybe the same art scene in Australia that there is here. Like it's maybe not as part of the culture in the same way. Yeah, I mean, I think, of course, there is an art scene there. And, you know, there's stuff like the Adelaide Fringe. And yeah, like there are people making art. I think, unfortunately, the funding from the government just is not there. Um, And I don't think that they value artists, which is kind of what we're seeing, I guess, in the UK as well with all the funding cuts. But, yeah, um, yeah. you know, it is smaller country it has a smaller industry but there are like really exciting people doing exciting things there I think as well what Australia really needs to focus on though is like diversity because we're such a multicultural country but the kind of the same faces are always or like the same sort of backgrounds always doing things and and getting commissions so yeah (laughs) yeah no 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 it's good no it's interesting definitely so when you were a teenager and stuff in Australia like what what did like and you wanted to be a writer what were your sort of first steps into becoming a writer well I took four units of English in high school so (laughs) a little bit different actually in Australia because I think like in over here like when you do A levels you can do like what like two or three A levels usually and I had to do seven subjects for my final exams. So <laughs> it was like a lot. And yeah, so English is compulsory. And so I did advanced English and then I did two extension units of English. So I think I pretty much wanted to get into some kind of writing first off. But actually, I didn't even think of theatre as being a career for me mm-hmm. because I had never really been involved in the theatre. Like I've never really gone to shows with my parents or anything like that. It just wasn't something that we did. And I went to quite like a working class high school. So like, you know, we had drama as well, which I like, yeah, which yeah. I did. But, you know, there wasn't like a lot of opportunity to go see shows or like, get involved in that scene. So, yeah, I really didn't even think that that was something that I could do. And I actually went into studying media first because I was like, well, I need to be able to pay bills somehow, you know. <laughs> And no one was like, well, why don't you try being a playwright? Because <laughs> no one even thought of that as an option. So, yeah. Yeah. It's been a kind of roundabout way of kind of getting into it. But yeah. Now I'm really old. So. <laughs> no, I think that's a very common answer. Like, especially from when it's, especially when we sort of speak to, to fellow working class creatives and stuff, particularly, like, it just doesn't ever feel like an option to work in the arts. Like, you, you don't really grow up going, I'm going to do this. And then if you do, you feel like you're an imposter or, you have that whole, you know, just get a real job attitude, which is of, of course where this mm-hmm. podcast sort of comes from and the whole ethos of it and stuff. Is your like monologue Red Bull? Like wh- when did, when was that? Was that like one of the first sort of steps into it, would you say? Yeah, I think that was in 2016, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. There is a theatre in Australia called the Australian Theatre for Young People and they have a national studio that happens every year and they take young Australian writers out into the country and have them write something over a week and that was the first opportunity I ever had because honestly at that point like I had been working in media for a bit and I don't know it just wasn't like fulfilling me creatively so I was looking for opportunities outside of that and this was like the first time that I'd ever even considered maybe I could do playwriting I don't know and then as soon as I had done it I was like okay like I'm addicted to this now can I do this forever 
because I think it's just such a, a live art form and it's so collaborative and like every performance is different and electric. So yeah, I, I love that I can kind of like give it to someone else and they can do something exciting with it. It's not just all up to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And after Red Bull stuff, you, you did some stuff that was put on the radio, right? Oh, yeah. So Red Bull was actually put on the radio. And it's actually yeah. so funny. Yeah. So I was on the, we had our show art party on the BBC the other day, but they told us you can't swear. <laughs> and so I had to take like quite a somber part of my play because my play has a lot of swearing in it. I mean, it's, it's set mm. in Scotland and it's like, yeah. quite new it's very, <laughs> very authentic, in fact, I must say. Very authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was like, it's a 50 page script. And I think it says the word fuck 83 times. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It literally start the first line is a swear. So anyway, and I think some, the end line is too. It we're just like, is, we're going, we're going, we're going for it. Yeah. So we're on the BBC and they said we couldn't swear. But when I was in Australia, I was doing the ABC, which is like the Australian version of that. And mm. my monologue had quite a few swears in it. <laughs> quite, there's a theme. And I was like, do I have to take those out? They're like, no, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know, it doesn't make it maybe a cultural thing, but it's fine to have swearing at two o'clock in the afternoon on ABC. I, I mean, I, I don't really see the problem. I, do, I just don't see the problem with sw- like the swearing thing. Like obviously within reason, because uh, uh, most most guests on the podcast like, oh, are we allowed to swear? And I'm like, I've, I'm like, yeah, like, sh- like yeah, it's fine. Like I mean, people okay. if people listening don't like swearing, then I apologize. But I just think like I don't really get why the BBC and things are so censor heavy on stuff like that, the especially worst, in the context of a play. The worst one that we ever had was we were on the radio earlier in the year talking about after party and it was just like, it was a local radio show, which it was great. It was an amazing opportunity, but they were like, because of the censors, you are going to get bleeped. And the, the word we got bleeped for was vagina. <laughs> it's Jeez, like, it's so are we strict. okay? <laughs> yeah, it's like, we were talking about the vagina monologues and it, that's literally just an anatomical thing yeah. like we don't need to leave that surely in 2021 but apparently we do <laughs> oh the amount of people that would still the, the amount of people that would find a way to complain to the bbc or whatever about that though they would you know they'd get like oh, yeah. so many phone calls about it like get a life <laughs> <laughs> so i don't think anyone's going to care about this though they're not no one's going to phone up and be like just get real job has some swearing on it again don't see off <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good, it's a good message. But just before, well, I'll come, we'll come on to after about it very soon, promise. Um, I just wanted to also ask about like how you ended up moving to London, and then also when you were in London, like your play Hungerland, which won an award as well. Yeah, so I moved to London. Honestly, I went for a visit to see Adele, <laughs> which was really annoying because eventually she just came down to Australia anyway. But. <laughs> I went for a visit and I just loved it. Like as soon as I was in the UK, like I fell at home. Like I, there's no other way to really explain it. Like I was like, I belong here. And there are a few reasons. Like I actually prefer the weather here. I know that sounds wild, but I don't like to <laughs> you like sweating the second of the day. And there aren't any huge spiders. So that's also a plus. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I moved to London. I, I really didn't have anything going for me that much in playwriting. It was a long slog. I was working full time as well. And I think anyone who works full time and is also trying to be a creative knows that that can be really draining. And it's like, it's hard to put your best foot forward when you have to juggle both. Very hard. So yeah, yeah the first 
two years I, I lived there, I pretty much, I had like a few small pieces on here and there, but it wasn't like anything amazing. Um, and then I, I got accepted onto the Masters of Fine Art program at Edinburgh Napier, which was in playwriting. So I moved to Edinburgh after that. And then I had to go back to Australia and I literally got an email saying like your play Hungerland has like won this award out of like 400 entries or something. And that they were going to wow. stage it. <laughs> so like literally a month after I went back to Australia, I had to fly all the way back to London, <laughs> which was such a great opportunity. So, but yeah, 30 hours on a plane is not my idea of a good time. <laughs> God, but that must have been an amazing experience to have that first sort of play as well, and I'm sure that's really helped with this one too. Yeah, I think what the difference with this is that, well, firstly, Hungerland, I wrote literally by myself. I didn't have a dramaturg. I didn't have any training. Literally, mm. the my first class when I started my master's program, I was like, wow, I actually don't know anything about theatre playwriting story structure like I don't know anything I don't know how I've managed to get this far <laughs> um so yeah so the difference with after party I guess is that I now have a lot more tools in my toolbox I guess and I've I've definitely been very lucky to be able to study because I that's like not an option for a lot of people I actually pay like 13,000 pounds a year to study in Edinburgh which is wild and the only way I can do that is like by having some money saved up from from all my sort of years of working in the media but but that's just not an accessible option for a lot of people. No it really isn't I mean I don't really like how the uni's charged like people coming from other like overseas and stuff like double the price and things it's a bit like yeah, yeah. but I mean university has very much become a bit of a, a business model as much as an education system which I don't need to get started on because I end up having a big grant yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah. bad it's not accessible at all but I hope like the course I'm sure the course has still been very like valuable and you enjoyed it and stuff and you got a lot out of it yeah definitely and I think the biggest draw of doing this course for me obviously other than learning the craft was that they offer you a full run of the fringe completely you know funded which uh, as everyone knows like the fringe is also very inaccessible if you have no money yeah. so um, <laughs> there was almost a payoff in a way like I'm paying all this money to them but I'm also getting this in return which is has its own value so yeah yeah definitely and I mean it's just great to have the fringe back this year as well yes this is actually my first fringe ever can you believe that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's not quite the same, but it still feels nearly normal. I mean, I've only seen your show so far, but I've got lots, lots of things planned and it's just great to see. It's great to see how they sort of made it happen without like it being quite normal. Like it's still great that it's, there's something's happening and, and they sort of been able to make it safe and stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think at the beginning of the year we thought this was ever going to be a possibility. So. Well, I've sort of skirted round the, the subject of after party for for about 25 minutes so I'll, I'll let you know we can, we can talk about it now the main highlight of of the of the interview I suppose um, but first of all why don't you tell the listeners like pet you can pitch after party to the listeners tell them a bit of what it's about and stuff and then we can get into it I'm literally so bad at this like, I know like, I hate it as I, well I actually am like elevator pitches are the worst okay oh, so it doesn't have to be an elevator pitch just pitch it however you like you know so After Party is a comedy about five teenage girls in Scotland who have just finished their final exams. So they're sort of in that really weird 
transitional period between being a child and an adult and you know not really knowing what's going to happen next like are they going to stay friends are they going to go to uni have jobs you know whatever and yeah to celebrate the end of of school they kind of go on this crazy night out and gets them in a bit of trouble (laughs) that's that's pretty much the gist of it it's got pop music it's got glitter it's got lots of swearing I think it's good fun so (laughs) no yeah I think that's you said you were very good at that's that was a very very good pitch I think I feel like you'd you'd summarize the play perfectly yeah I've had a lot of practice now (laughs) (laughs) I know the B you know you you don't know the BBC I'm sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah there is a lot of glitter as well actually I was like oh there's lots I mean I quite like that actually I don't I shouldn't I'm trying to not give away any spoilers too much but I love the like you know there's all that glitter gets chucked about and stuff and then they like pick it up it's like quite a good way of cleaning the stage a little bit as well I know I've thought about that (laughs) we do have to we have like five minutes to clear everything off and Mm. yeah I think people will see at the end of the play it's a big mess so (laughs) thanks to the actors for being good sports Yeah, no, but After Party was, you know, a very, very enjoyable play. I really liked it. And what, what, what was good as well was, I mean, I think it's, well, first of all, as like, considering you're not from Scotland, I think you like the dialogue and like the way that you'd written it is so authentic. Like, so you, you nailed it on the writing front as well. Like it felt very, very nat- like natural. Well, I love naturalistic writing. So like that was like spot on so accurate <laughs> thank you so much I I did in fairness I did a lot of research um in the lead up to it because I you know there's nothing worse than like someone getting your slang wrong literally so mm. and and the actors were very helpful and they'd be like yeah we wouldn't say that I'm like okay <laughs> well you just say it how you would say it then because you know better than I do so it's been a real collaboration on, on that front yeah definitely speaking of collaboration and stuff like did what how what was the sort of process for like this coming to become a thing like how did this sort of all come together like collaboratively that that was such yeah. a weirdly answered asked question there but I think you no, no, no I understood what you meant so the actors in the the university they have to form their own acting companies theater companies even and yeah, so it was girls. It was Sally Kearns, Lizzie Devers, Emily Pemberton, and Annie Welsh. So they they had all formed their own theatre company, and they were looking for new writing because honestly, it's so hard for you to, for, to find like a good play with five young women in it. Like, mm. where are they? They, they don't exist. Well, they do, but like, there's not a lot of them. So they, they were looking for new writing, basically, and they approached me and my director, Hannah McEachern, and we formed this F-bomb theatre company, which yeah. is, honestly, it's just been the best experience. Being able to, it's been a lot of work, but I think that's why it's been it's been so rewarding, is like seeing it all pay off, I guess. Yeah, definitely. No, and, and can I just say as well, F-bomb have an incredible social media presence. Is everyone, A lot of people, a lot of friends have mentioned, like, they have such good like promo like their, their social media is very strong like yeah no it is it's really good actually i mean i don't want to brag but that was all me <laughs> all that media all that media experience yeah, that's it. yeah i was like gotta use that other degree somehow <laughs> <laughs> 
but I sort of, in terms of like from a, a writing point of view, like what were the sort of big influences on After Party? Like, was there any other stuff that was a big influence on it, like TV and, and writing wise? And oh, stuff? Yeah, I mean, the big one, I guess, is Dairy Girls. Mm. A lot of people have compared it to Dairy Girls, and I don't, I don't want it to be a carbon copy, and I don't think it is. I think the characters no, are, are different enough, yeah. but I just love, love that show. I it's so good. Anyone so good. Who says that women aren't funny haven't watched Dairy Girls because that is one of the funniest TV shows out there at the moment. Yeah, um, it's great. Sweet sovereign Jesus, it's the morning already. What are we gonna do? Well, maybe we could start with Cam and the fuck down. Come down. We're still on William of Orange, Michelle. We haven't so much looked at the famine. We've got the gist. They ran out of spots. Everyone was raging. Well, I can't tell my rebellions from my risings. And whose fault's that? If your lot had stopped invading us for five fucking minutes, there'd be a lot less to wade through. You English prick. Yeah, and I think like sitcoms as well. And anything that's just a little bit silly. I don't think we need to always have highbrow comedy, as you would know from watching After Party. That like we can just have a laugh and, and be silly and quite absurd. I quite like things that are like don't make sense all the time. And mm. you, you just kind of do a double take and you're like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah and, and I think the thing with After Party is, is very real like it's not it's quite it's kind of quite sad as well underneath the comedy it's, it's actually very sad in a way and like what I liked as well and because I think what's universal about it I think especially growing up in like a sort of Scottish town like I, I, I seen a lot of similarities to where I'm from you know I saw I've got a lot of really close female friends as well from back home and like I, I saw I like went to school with people like some of the characters you know I, I, I know that feeling of being in a in a town and, and like wanting to get out but then not feeling like you're worthy of doing that and then feel, and other people who stay sort of not liking you for wanting to get out like so it was really relatable in that sense yeah I think like obviously it's a comedy so the characters are a bit over the top but like it comes from a from a real place and I did a lot of research into like social mobility and stuff when I was writing it and I, I wanted it to feel like it was grounded in, in like an authentic story because it is genuinely what what people go through and yeah it was really important to me to to make that relatable so thank you <laughs> yeah and like how, how did you actually research for writing like in a in scots and stuff like was there like a, a, a certain way you did that or was it sort of also just through the collaborative process yeah definitely collaboration a lot of listening <laughs> i watched a lot of scottish tv programs and i read a lot of scottish plays and i also had like a dictionary of, of like words that i had on my browser for like four months <laughs> just like always open so that i could really get into it and also like Scottish Twitter and Scottish TikTok I would say as well <laughs> I think like social media you get where you get the authentic slang so mm. <laughs> honestly I know, I know the slang in Scotland better than I know Australian slang at this point and that's not even a joke <laughs> Yeah, and obviously I know the play sort of kind of sold that like you pretty much sold most of your tickets. But and this this episode will be out next Tuesday, so just I mean it still will be on. So I, I suppose I'll, I'll let you quickly plug it just in case any tickets do come available and anyone listening like might want to come see it. Yeah, so it should still have tickets next Tuesday. Let's hope. Um, <laughs> we are selling out very quickly though. So yeah, if you if you want to come see our party, it's on at the Space Triplex venue thirty eight, I believe, and. It is on the Edinburgh Fringe website. You can buy tickets through them or through the Edinburgh Fringe box office. And yeah, you can follow us on FBOM Theatre, like at FBOM Theatre on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram if you 
people want to buy tickets, we have the link on all of our social media as well. Cool. And obviously we'll link everything in the show notes of the podcast as well. And I just keep thinking of more questions about after Pirates, but like <laughs> th- this one might be difficult, but like, do you have a, is there, do you have like a favorite thing about this play? Like what's personally? Am I allowed to say a character? <laughs> yeah, of course. I was actually, I didn't know if I could ask, do you have a favorite character? Because I, mean, like, I know as a writer, that can be quite hard to, to have. Yeah, I know. But like, honestly, I just love the character Jess. I just think she's so fun. <laughs> I've never written a character like that before. Who's just completely themselves. And yeah. I just think she's she's brilliant. She's like the most fun I've ever had writing any character in my life. So that's been my favorite part. <laughs> like seeing that character come to life and just be like really daft and but also real and have her own, you know, personality, her own dreams. Um, I think she's complex. I mean, they're they're all like I like to think they're all complex, but I just I just find her the most enjoyable to mm. to write for sure. <laughs> no, it is very like amusing and like I think as well because her character doesn't even really like mean to be funny but this is kind of funny and like if like, the audience laugh like I'd probably say she got gets the most laughs from the audience yeah I, I thought that might happen <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah she's brilliant yeah no and there's it's high energy as well throughout like I think that's people need that after, after the last 18 months as well to like see like you know yeah absolutely I think comedy let's just have more comedy I mean I know that there are heavy subjects in in my play but I think the comedy makes them a little bit more palatable I guess and like easier to to discuss and I I personally don't really want to sit in a theater for an hour and just come out of it feeling like really depressed like I want to come out feeling you know empowered to like make a change if that's what the if it's like a social issues play which this is like I want to come out feeling like yeah like I need to do something about this like I need to be empowered and and active not come out being like wow the world's shit isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well before I move on because I've got I've got a few fun questions to ask you but like my last sort of question on the play is what was it what is like the meaning of the play to you like what what do you think the play is trying to say and it doesn't have to say anything because plays obviously that's not how they work but just if that makes sense yeah I think I'd seen a lot of this narrative around especially from politicians or even just like everyday people that you know if you're sort of on the bottom rung rung of the ladder in society like you you just really need to work hard and dream big and eventually it will happen for you and I think that is just such a damaging narrative because if you're not actually getting any support like it's just so so difficult and I think it just absolves people of the responsibility of like helping people who don't have a lot of support and and you know it's just so difficult to do things without that you know safety net so yeah that that's that's pretty much the I would say the meaning of of the play that resonated with you yesterday but it it has like it's a kind of a bittersweet message I guess but I think it's it's a realistic one and I think telling people because to be honest people don't grow up not dreaming of you know doing amazing things with their lives that's just not even that's just inaccurate like I did research on this and you know there's this myth around the poverty of aspiration in the working class that's not true like of course people grow up wanting to do things with a like to be x y and z but if they don't have the support or the encouragement or the money then how how are they supposed to 
<laughs> do that, you know? And yeah, I guess just picking apart those narratives around like, you know, not working hard enough or not wanting it enough, I guess. Yeah. No, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, th- this definitely like resonates in the play and and it and is this, as you say, bittersweet element of it. And you do sort of, you do sympathise with some of the characters and you do sort of go like, oh, because it is, that's, that's what life is like. And it's real for people, especially in those communities and stuff. And it makes you also feel kind of lucky. I definitely felt lucky. Like I did get out of that sort of a town, like in that regard and sort of was able to, well, not, I was going to say work in the arts. I wouldn't quite say I was there yet, but making, in, <laughs> making inroads anyway. Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful, not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. But well done in the play. It was great to get back to the theatre again and enjoy talking about it. But um, I have some sort of fun questions to ask you, which are a little bit more personal about you as a writer. I always say quickfire, but they're not really quickfire because you can take time to unpack them. But my first question is, who are your biggest influences as a writer? I would say like Eve, like Lisa McGee. She's just brilliant. So underrated. I know she, like everyone loves Jerry Girls, but even I was reading her play Girls and Dolls and it's just so mind-blowingly good it's definitely more of like a drama so I think she can do it all I think she's incredible so <laughs> who else I quite like Dennis Kelly I think he you know has a, a real gift of making you feel comfortable and then really uncomfortable <laughs> but like in a good way in a way that is making you think yeah I think he's an excellent playwright i think anna jordan as well i think she's she's excellent i love her plays yeah this is i I always enjoy asking questions like this but if you could have written any play or anything it doesn't have to just be a play i'll let you have more wide net if you could have written anything from history like something that's been made that you love like what what would it what would it be i wish that i wrote Bo Burnham's inside oh how good is that how good is that it's so good I literally had a breakdown after watching it though oh my um... god I know me too this is great because I've not actually been able to talk about this in the podcast by the way I brought this up to guests and they hadn't seen it so this is this is a nice tangent (laughs) yeah it's brilliant I could never watch it again though (laughs) so it's really sad isn't it like I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd never like watched any of Bo Burnham stuff I'd, I'd seen like his film I'd seen like uh, eighth grade and stuff didn't even realize he directed it at the time watch this like on the because everyone was talking about it. I thought let's see what this is and the first 10 minutes I'm like I don't what is this I'm not really sure this is for me and then I got really invested in it and it's just so moving yeah. and yeah it's great so 
very funny, but I think that's kind of what I was talking about before is like he uses comedy to kind of disarm you and make you vulnerable, which is that's why afterwards I was like, am I okay? Like, is the world fine? <laughs> the answer was no. <laughs> no, of course. Yeah, I think what's so good about that special is it, like, especially if you're creative as well, watching it, it sort of like really exposes like the vulnerability of making art as well. Yeah. And it's just, oh God, yeah, it's, it's just really kind of sad, but like funny as well. Perfect example. Yeah. I could certainly relate to, the, there was parts where he was like just deep in his creative process and like, just like sitting in a dark room on his own, you know, trying to get something out. And I was like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I mean, that's what being a writer is kind of like. And I think that's the reason I've not really done much writing for a year because it is very like difficult to just sit down in a dark room, for, especially without a deadline. It's quite isolating, which I think is the good thing about theatre for me mm. is that like after you've written it, there is a collaboration process and you don't feel like so lonely all the time. <laughs> yeah, because you're getting to, to spend the time with everyone yeah. and, and sort of see it, see it grow. What is there like was there like a moment when you've been at the theater in the past that you saw like a play and like you really like wished I wish I'd written that I mean I don't think a lot of people know this play because it was done in Australia but it's called mm. Fangirls by Eve Blake and it is like the best thing I've ever seen it was just so good it is about it's literally about fangirls of boy bands and how crazy they are but also how amazing they are and how when you're interested in something or like really passionate about something as a young girl you're like never taken seriously and it's a musical and it's iconic it's amazing I really wish a lick of musical talent that I could write a musical and actually if anyone's listening to this and is a composer talk to me because I really I, I desperately want to write a musical I just don't have any skills <laughs> <laughs> I actually interviewed two composers very recently and they just did a very successful musical in London and they're great. So that's, that's great. Um, another quite this is actually quite, this you, this might be a good one for you, but like out of all the stuff you'd written so far, do you have like a favourite line? Let me just ask my director. She's <laughs> What's the best line in North Party? What a power link. <laughs> That's a, that's, that's a phrase. What was your favorite line from our party? I'm the gonna one, throw it back at you. The, like, oh my god! Well, I, I feel like I might not get it 100, but I love that. Like, you look like a, a giant can of iron brew or something. I thought that was great. Oh yeah. Oh uh, no, great. actually, I know. I know my favorite line. It's yeah. I owe you. You owe I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that got a massive laugh. Actually, to be fair, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna keep you asking that question in as well. Let's let's stay in. That, that's yeah. a thing. A thing. <laughs> That that was a good line. Another line that got a huge laugh was the uh, studying business line. Actually, I think. That oh was, my gosh, that, was that wasn't good. even meant to be funny, but she just made it so funny. Yeah, no, that no, that was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, uh, great yeah. stuff. The, this question is a sort of one we've been asking recently on the podcast, but I'm going to give you three categories. So if you just pick one, and then there's like a follow up. So you can have a sweaty dance floor, a drunken karaoke night, or a hungover Sunday. Drunken karaoke. 
What are you singing? Well, probably Phantom of the Opera, but just really terribly. <laughs> if I get drunk enough, I think I'm great at singing. Yeah. I think karaoke might have opened again. I don't know. I've, like, I don't really, I think everything's open now. So I need to check that out definitely because it's been too long. Just cool. bring earplugs, I guess. <laughs> I actually, I had this question planned for when we were talking about after party, but I feel like I should actually ask it before I forget. But th- And this isn't one of the fun questions because it's not particularly a fun question to ask to be fair. But like, I just have a quick question about like, uh, like women in fear and stuff. And like, how do you feel in the UK, especially, how do you feel that? Like, how, how is that at the moment? Do you think it's getting better? Do you think there's, like, more opportunities? I think it's slowly but surely getting somewhere, but I don't think it's anywhere near as, as close as it should be. I think 65% of theatre audiences are women. I don't think that they are catered to with the shows that are put on or or the roles that women get or, you know, even, like, behind the scenes, like, who is actually making that kind of theatre. And actually I was speaking to someone the other day about this and they were like, well, you know, that's just the way it is. And I'm like, well, it's always going to be that way if you keep saying that, you know? Yeah, it's not really an answer, is it? Well, that's just the way it is. It's like people say that about climate change and stuff. It's like, yeah, but it's not like the right attitude to have, is it? Can we try, can we try and fix it? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just thought it's important to ask you this question because I know it's also a big part of F-bomb as well. And like that's a big mm. like part of like sort of like idea of it as well is to celebrate women of fear and like obviously that's what your play has done, and um, yeah. So yeah, I think people. I think theatres actually would make a lot of money if they did more plays that women would enjoy. Um, not that they don't enjoy other kinds of plays, but like stuff that speaks to them. Because if they are sixty five percent of their audience, then they're kind of missing a, a trick there. And the fact that we're we're selling out like every night pretty much shows that I think the people want this kind of stuff and they're interested in it so keep commissioning it <laughs> no yeah definitely there's there's definitely like a an audience there and like people want to see that so yeah 100 yeah. I'm gonna start to I'll start wrapping things up but like a question as well which I think is really important and because we all have failure we all have things we'd done in the past that we maybe regret but like a question we started asking as well is like what what would you say your biggest creative failure has been to date and like how how did you learn from that failure <laughs> yeah my my play <laughs> hunger and literally got savaged by a critic and I can't find this review anywhere I think they deleted it off the internet but they basically I got like no stars <laughs> oh what not even one no star that- not even one star can you believe Jesus. it I know I thought I deserved at least one star come on but yeah that was kind of hard to bounce back from but at the end of the day some people said they enjoyed it and let it touch them so uh, that's all we can really hope for I guess but it is hard I won't lie like it's hard to read bad reviews <laughs> no yeah def- definitely but like obviously you'd you have bounced back from it now and stuff and like you'd, you'd gone on to do stuff so like did, did that take a long time or did you eventually just sort of shrug it off? Well, I, I don't know. I was going through a lot of personal things in my life at that time as well. So by the time I got back to uni, I was pretty much, I hadn't done writing for like a year, literally. Mm. I hadn't done anything creative for a year. I was in lockdown. Things were not great. I was trapped in Australia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so by the time I came back, I, I was pretty much just ready to to go. And I think having that failure, I wouldn't even call it a failure, but that right. learning experience, it 
It basically, it made me reconsider like what kind of theatre I really want to put out there. And if I was never to write another play again, like I'm so glad it was After Party because I felt like more than Hungerland or anything I've done before, it's like, it's a real showcase of like my voice and, and who, what, who I want to be as a, as a playwright. Yeah, definitely. So keep going, I guess. Yeah. And, and the thing is, right, reviews are so problematic because I used to write reviews for like a film magazine and I kind of don't really like, I don't really like that we have to give everything like a, a star rating and stuff in a way. Like I just mm. much prefer to be like, I, I saw the play, I saw After Party and I really enjoyed it. It was really good. Go and see it. Like, I feel like that's much more positive than being like, I saw After Party, like, do you know, and then somebody maybe is like, oh, I gave it three stars out of five. Like why? Like, I just don't really like to like that give idea of, I'm not yeah. saying I gave you a play three stars out of five, but it's just an example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's over. Um, no, um, <laughs> no, I think, I think you're so right. And I think obviously reviews are important and they have a place, but I think we also need to consider who's writing the reviews and mm. 90% of critics in the UK are actually men so and I, I'm sure in terms of diversity of race sexuality class like I don't think it's it's doing great so I think we just need to examine what kind of stories are being told that that has value because we all have you know unconscious biases so I'm I may see something and think it was amazing but someone who is 65 and a you know middle class white man may disagree and that's fine that's fine but we all like different things and we all find different stories relatable I just think we need to have more diverse critics because otherwise we're, we're never gonna get a wide range of voices I feel like reviews need to take into account like the context as well because even make, like I mean there's lots of terrible films which are just terrible for example mm-hmm. but like even but like having been on sets even getting terrible film made it still takes a lot of work and it's even to get to that point so like I feel like it is it can like it feels like a bit harsh sometimes giving something a bad review as well but that's a bit of a tangent well absolutely I think like Ask Party was um it was made on a 350 pound budget so if anyone comes for the you know how good the costumes look or something we'll kick off (laughs) no it works like I would have thought you had a bigger budget than that so there you go but um it's the thing is it's like all of it we still have like 100 quid left (laughs) amazing but it's got you're using like the space you have though which is great Mm -hmm. that's what good fear does is that it doesn't need a lot it just needs the the simple space but the sort of second last question which of course the name of the podcast one of one of our favorite questions to ask but like what's the sort of worst part-time job you'd ever had to work to support your art or like the worst quote real job you'd ever had to work you don't have to name the company, but you, I mean, you can if you want. Uh, I won't name the company, but I, I, when I was in London, I, I had a job doing social media and stuff and my boss did not like me <laughs> and was, I don't know, I, I just would have incidents with him where like if I gave him feedback, he would say, oh, like that's such a bitchy comment. And I'm like, okay, is it though? Um, and I, I do have one instance with him where I, I gave some like design feedback on a website and he he was like, oh, that's a rubbish idea. Not five minutes later, some old guy, a man basically came up to him and said the exact same thing. And he was like, great idea. <laughs> And yeah, that design choice is still on their website. <laughs> Thank you very much. So yeah, I think honestly, I enjoy working in, in media still, uh, as long as I'm like passionate about what I'm actually marketing and stuff like that. So like doing it for F-Bomb has been such a joy. Uh, I really enjoy doing it. But I think like it's also the people 
that you work with that you're forced to go into an office with every day in London when it's pissing down rain and <laughs> just like getting the tube and you're just like wow this is the life <laughs> yeah no it's, yeah. it's not no you won't but I mean as I said the reason we asked this question is because everyone especially most of the emerging creatives which most of our listeners are have all we'd all had to work jobs we didn't particularly like to support ourselves in doing what we love so I just think it's very good when we ask this question and we, we can all relate and it makes us all feel better we'd all done it we'd all been there yeah yeah absolutely well my last question for you which and you've given some advice throughout actually but just if you were able to summarize like what your advice would be to anyone who wants to be a playwright anyone who's in the sort of same position as you or just anyone who wants to work or get into the creative industries in general like what would your advice for them be I don't want to sound like cliched but I would literally just say like don't give up I think unless it's harming you mentally to keep doing it I think there are opportunities and there are you just never know what's around the corner for you the other thing I would say is if you are wanting to become a playwright read lots of plays like I know it's so so expensive to see theatre and it's a problem but if you can read plays you'll definitely learn a lot about like story structure and things like that don't feel like you have to be productive all the time because I think we are so ingrained in this mindset that we always have to be working and I think sometimes that's detrimental to a creative process so if you need a break if you just need to even step back from your career for a bit and just like give yourself a mental break like the if you are creative if you're a creative the creativity will come it will come so you don't you don't need to be constantly like churning out words you don't need to be like okay well I need to be nine to five if that's what works for you it works for you but like I, I don't work that way. I I honestly, like, I start working at, like, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, and that, you know, may not work for you, but I think just don't put yourself under the pressure to, to always be productive. I think it's kind of the enemy of creativity. That was brilliant advice. But I don't actually think anyone's given that that advice on this before. We'd have, like, various answers, but that I totally agree with that. And I, I need to really take that advice on a personal level. I'm so, personally, I'm so hard on myself. I have, I'm like, I, like, I need to do something for this. I need to, you know, always feel like you need to be working or, oh, I need to go and, like, post this for the podcast or blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's so difficult. Like, it's really tiring and it does take it out of you as well. So absolutely. Yeah. Great. I think like I I get into that mindset as well and sometimes I have to just remember like I'm trying to create art and it's need to stop trying to be so capitalist all the time know. you know I'm, I'm, I'm doing it for myself and to create for myself and I don't need to be my own boss sort of like yeah you know I know it's like myself. it's like it's like Bo Burnham's content song is so that's why I like I feel that so heavily <laughs> it's just like yeah, yeah. Oh God. But no, Ra- like this has been really, really enjoyable. Thank you very much for your time today, Rachel. Thank- and it was great to see the play as well. And I'm, I'm sure people will go and see it. If it's not sold out when this episode comes out, please get tickets. And actually I'm going to be cheeky because I said that was the last question, but like, is there anything else, the fringe that you've seen that you'd quickly like to give a wee plug to that you would recommend for people to see? Well, I've only seen one of a play so far, but you should definitely see it. It's called Sunshine on Leaf and it's on at the multi-story um, by Captivate Theatre and one of our actors who plays Jess is actually in it oh, and great. it's half an hour after our show finishes so she literally runs across Edinburgh <laughs> and um, gets into a different costume and character and is like the lead in a musical she's wild so yeah go see that <laughs> yeah that's it's a really great play. Great, 
It's a, it's a good musical. I've, I've, saw, I've saw the film. But yeah, that's great. Well, Rachel, thank you very, very much for your time. Good luck with the rest of the Fringe run. And yeah, all the best. Thank you very much. There you go. That was my conversation with Rachel. I'd like to thank her again for her time. And I'm so happy that someone finally talked about Bo Burnham's Inside on the podcast because I've, I've been dying to have a conversation about that. So I got very excited when that came up. As always, if you want to find out a bit more about Rachel, check the links in the show notes. Please as well. I don't know if there'll be any tickets left by this point, but if you can, go and see the play after party as well. Rachel plugged it loads in the episode, so you already know about that. And as always, if you are enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. If you can share us on social media, please consider uh, doing that and tell people to listen. Word of mouth is a great tool for us to keep growing. And if you can afford it, we appreciate it. It's a very difficult time, but if you can afford to donate as little as a pound a month to our Patreon page, please consider doing it. All the money we make goes back into the upkeep of the podcast. And you can do that by clicking the link in the show note or by going to patreon.com slash job. But wherever you are in the world hope you're well and we'll be back again next week with the 50th episode of just get a real job just get a real job